0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Now a show that's going to give you the truth about the biggest epidemic of our times. We're all a little crazy. Welcome back to another episode of We're All a Little Crazy. Uh, I'm Eric Kusin along with uh, my co-host NHL great Theo Fleury. We have an awesome guest on today, uh, a gentleman by the name of Jimmy Conrad, <laughs> who's looking around saying, who, who would that be? <laughs> and, and in and in true Jimmy fashion, I'm going to give the story. I, I was telling Theo, I, I'm, see if this will shake the cobwebs on, uh, on this little video he sent in. So we had our launch event for We're All a Little Crazy in the Same hair Movement in November of 2017. So we're going back a number of years now. Um, It's kind of weird to think we've been around that long. And Jimmy was one of the earliest athletes who committed to this. We'll go a little bit into the story a little bit later, not the main focus of this. And, And was on board and saying, I like what you're doing with bringing different people with different platforms together, all holding hands, count me in. Now for this particular event, Jimmy lives in California. The event was in New York, a little bit harder for him to come out. He had other obligations. He's like the king of the soccer world. So we couldn't get him out for this. So we asked the people who couldn't make it to submit a video and we play the video for all the guests. We had about 400 guests in attendance at the time. And so we had John Kerwin, you know, with this New Zealand uh, accent and he's he's like the uh, Michael Jordan of, rug, of rugby down there and gives this beautiful like eloquent speech. And Jimmy's video goes in and plays like, this is a special moment. I'm really sorry I couldn't be there for all of you. I'm especially sorry because I'm even more handsome in person. <laughs> <laughs> and if that doesn't, <laughs> I don't know, I'll tell you what Jimmy's personalities and And, Jimmy, like I'll even say this. With the story that you share oftentimes, before we go into the Christian Erickson stuff, about your parents having you at 18 – not being together then after that, and how you became an overachiever almost because of having to feel like you had to make up for that in a way. I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth. That personality that you still have right now of that's one example of it. Like, I'm gonna be the funny guy. I'm gonna break the ice, all that stuff. Do you see how that all kind of is part of the psyche of who is Jimmy Conrad?
1: A oh, 100%. I I sometimes don't know how to turn it off. And I think that's the stuff that as i look for balance in my life that that is number one it's it's how do i figure out a way to not have to be that person even though i've become that person in so many different ways and i was about 23 years old when why like why am i wired this way i had a bit of an epiphany and i was deep into reading some books that were a little bit more philosophical on nature and I started to really have this personal reflection. why do I have to prove to everybody that I'm funny, that I'm great to be around, that I'm the nicest guy of all time? Like, can I just be a jerk every once in a while? I just want to be a jerk. Can I just be a jerk? And, uh, and I can't. But, but it dawned on me that because my parents had me so young and because they broke up before I was born, there was a lot of anger towards my dad from my mom's side of the family. You, you ruined her life. She can't now realize her dream. She had a kid all this stuff that's packed in there. And as a, as a young person, I think you absorb this without really understanding why you're absorbing it, what you're really picking up on until you get a little bit older and can verbalize it. And then it dawned on me that the better that I was as a person, the more that I accomplished quote unquote accomplished, right? There's a lot of different definitions of accomplishment, but the more that I was out there and I was going to be somebody, I was going to be a difference maker. Then the more that everybody could look back on the decision to keep me as the right decision. And, when you can kind of see that as the context and crux of why I do what I do and how it shapes all of my decisions, it becomes quite obvious as to why I, and where I've become and where I've gotten to and, and why I don't know how to turn it off because I've just been so wired to continue to prove that, they, that my parents made the right decision by keeping me. It's so strong inside of me that I don't know how to turn it off, turn it off because I'm always trying to continue to prove that. I don't ever want there to be a drop off. or are like, eh, there it was. That's why we shouldn't have had him, you know? And so, so obviously humor is a nice way, a nice coping mechanism through that. Uh, And also, you know, obviously just being an overachiever and trying to continue to push, 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 push. But there are days where I just want to lay down and stare at the ceiling. (laughs) Well, it's
0: amazing. It resonates so much. And I can bring Theo into the conversation with this piece of it, because like we'll be on a text thread with our friends, Theo, Darren, right? Our co-host. And we'll be talking about something, you know, pretty ho-hum. And then like, I'll throw a joke in out of nowhere that's like completely inappropriate or unrelated to it. And I realized that, like, kind of also like trying to be funny in a particular situation or trying to lighten up the room or stuff like that. Granted, you know, I wasn't born to 18 year old parents who split up, but I had my different set of shit that I dealt with growing up. But it's like, was I trying to be the people pleaser? Was I trying to lighten the mood all the time? Was I trying to bring people together? And it also, Theo, maybe this will will help tie it in with you. Like, you see that with me. You could confirm that I do those things. But you always talk about, like, there's pieces of people in psychology that have this, like, am I good enough? Am I worthy, right? Isn't this such a big piece, Theo, of, like, how this all plays into why our personalities develop the way they do? Well, I would would say
2: 99.9% of the people that I come across You know their 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 lack of being good enough is like their number one thing that they have to overcome in their whole entire life and and you know that takes a lot of you know looking inside yourself as to why do i feel this way or why do i need you know to be the center of attention and you know jimmy our our, my my story your story very similar uh when it comes to you know overachieving right you know i'm the king of overachieving right you know everybody everybody you know i saw i wish i had a dollar for every time somebody said i was too small and i was never going to make it because i would not have to play in the nhl i would have plenty of money you know but uh um but i but i also see those challenges as gifts in this process right because adversity Builds resilience in us and then when you have resilience in you, you you can overcome pretty much anything in life, you know, and And you know, that's what I try to get people to see is that through the struggle You are going to learn probably some of your greatest lessons Through the struggle of you know mental health challenges because you really find out who you are and what you know what you can can tolerate uh, what you can overcome Uh, how, how well do I use resources, you know, all, all of these things. Right. And so, um, but you know, we can't get through the stigma of this thing to get to, uh, 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 another level of conversation, right. Is because, you know, we're so paralyzed that. Uh, people are going to judge me, or people are going to see me in, in a different light, and it's going to, you know, take away from this amazing brand that I built of myself. Where you know I'm happy-go-lucky, and you know I'm always on, and and all that stuff. And so, well,
0: look at what Jimmy just said, Thea, and I think you're you're, you know, and and J- Jimmy, I'd love for you to dive deeper into that realization that you've had. And when you're saying there, sometimes I just want to stare at the ceiling and just you know not be that person. Is Theo, that like what you're describing with the perception piece is why people who are public figures oftentimes continue to play the part and then never go away from it. And oh, that's who Jimmy is. Jimmy's just that guy. And yeah. to hear Jimmy be honest about it and 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 to his core and say, This is what I'm feeling inside of. I'm critiquing myself a little bit. I'm wondering, do I need to always be this way? By the way, I love that part of your personality, Jimmy. Just for, for, (laughs) and I'm sure you love it too. But oh yeah, yeah, of course. But it's exhausting sometimes, right? And so it's it's this balancing act.
2: But yeah, it's that vulnerability piece that we always talk about, and and without vulnerability, healing is never possible, right? Is getting to that place where am I? living my story or am i telling my story there's a big difference between the two right and a lot of us at the beginning before we had you know the the proverbial rock bottom we were living our story we were surviving we were coping we were doing all those things and then we then we switch and then we get to a place where it's like you know what i don't really give a fuck what people think about me and i have this amazing story that i think might be able to help other people, and then you get to that point, and then you're telling your story, which means you're on the other side. And you've acknowledged all of the things, all of the trauma. You've acknowledged it. You've gone to seek out help, and now you're this person who can be completely open and honest about your life, and that's what and that's and that's what connects all of us is that story
1: I, I agree with you and, and i love you guys' insight i could sit here and listen to you guys all day I'm, I'm sad we're only what 11 episodes into your podcast i want more of it but there's two things one is when i stare at the ceiling and i want to lay down and do that i feel like i'm just searching for that peace like what is going to give me that peace that i can just finally relax and i can just take a deep breath and i can accept me for me that's one. Second, everybody has a mental health issue And that is what cracks me up about it the most. We're sitting here and you guys are fighting your asses off to raise awareness for mental health when every single person on the planet has mental health issues. Yeah, some are more severe than others. People have different backgrounds than others. People have had more comfort than others, but there's still some element of mental health that we're all coping with. And the fact that there's so much denial about it absolutely blows my mind. And so I appreciate you trying to bring light to something that should be pretty obvious and the denial the collective denial is unbelievable. And so this is such an easy thing to get behind. And, and the fact that we can't have open conversations about mental health and that all of a sudden it's a big shock that some players can't handle some pressure at times because like Naomi Osaka, like, yeah, it's just too much sometimes. And you're asking too much of these players to go out there and fight for themselves. Anyway, I'm just using her as an example, but it's, it's, it's across the board. It's, un, it's unreal. I'm preaching to the choir, I know. But, but, it's, but we love it. We love it, that you're it, saying it. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to me. And and when your brain gets overloaded,
2: it shuts the fuck down. Like, it's just like, it's a, it's a proven scientific fact that we can only handle so much. Right. And then eventually, you know, everything gets short circuited and the system gets all messed up. And, but I really see that as a sign that you, that we all got to get back to self. Right. It's not about, you know, winning fucking Stanley Cups and gold medals and all that fucking bullshit that I went through, you know, the first part of my life, you know, the second half of my life is, has actually had a bigger impact than the first half. And I think that's what, what's really, you know, drives me, inspires me is having conversations with people like you who are willing to be vulnerable and just lay it all out there. This is who I am. You know? And 50% of the people are going to like you, Jimmy, and 50% aren't. So guess what? I'm going to hang out with the 50%
1: who actually (laughs) like me. Exactly. Right? We learned that pretty quick on social media.
0: On social, yes, and people are keyboard warriors, and we know all that. I think another layer of this is... Comparisons, you know, Jimmy, you say we all have mental health. Obviously, you know, that's the message we push all the time. Like who hasn't been through shit, right? Then within the people who've been on the farther end of the spectrum, I just shared something about this today. There's this comparison, uh, uh, uh ideology of I've had it worse than you. And I, and I put, what I did was I put these two pictures of a butterflies, two different butterflies facing each other. And I was like, which butterfly is more beautiful? Because if you can tell me definitively which is more beautiful, I'd love to know. There's no way to know which that's it's a concept. You can't get your mind. So then I took it into mental health and I said the the guy or the girl who lost their mother, broke up with their significant other and then just lost their job, compare their level of pain to the person who's been, been dealing with bipolar specifically as their diagnosis for the last Three years, but we don't know necessarily situationally what's gone on in their life. Who has it worse? And yet we get into these tug of wars of like, no, I've been through more. No, you've been guys, we've all been through a lot. The lot changes at different points in our lives. We will support each other more once we come to that realization, as opposed to saying, my group of people in the OCD group, no, it's obsessing all the time. That's a lot harder than your group over there that's dealing with unipolar I, depression. I
1: think I, that's a sense of purpose. I think there's when you do that, you're trying to make it seem like your stuff is more valuable, that that what you've gone through has been a bigger struggle because then it gives more weight to, to the journey that you're on in some capacity and that if it's the same as somebody else's or the same as probably 3 million other people, well, you're not unique anymore, right? You're actually, I don't know. There's, there's something about kind of owning my pain in a way that gives you purpose. I mean, everybody's looking for purpose as we float on this big rock in the middle of space, you know? So that's uh, it's really interesting to me, but, but as social media kind of raises the stakes in terms of hot takes and, and picking one side over another and, and how that's now, you know seeping into almost all walks of life uh, as we you know and politics sports you name it. Uh, it it's it's interesting that it's become either or as opposed to man actually where all the the fun is is the gray the gray area is where actually all the all the juices and and where the solutions are but maybe it takes what Theo just shared Jimmy which you're in the midst of right now or or have
0: come on the other side of I've been fortunate enough to come on the other side of is once you go through the shit that you've been through and you realize your story is just there to help people, you don't care if it's more intense, less intense. You care that your story is a tool and a gift to be able to help others. And, and, and and being able to own that and saying like you're on a stage with other people, instead of being like, are they going to help people more than I'm going to help? How about the way that you emote, the way that you share the the intonation in your voice right like that's a little bit part of your character and your personality of why your delivery is so good is because it's not just your story by itself when i you know i've presented with theo so many times and theo catch captures people at the beginning and says you know 15 years ago i had a fully loaded pistol you know in my mouth rattling between my teeth that grabs people he understands how to use his story to bring people in so it it, it so i'm going to i'm going to use that as now yeah. Go ahead. Theo.
2: The thing about emotional pain is your emotional pain and my emotional pain are exactly the same. Like there's no, is there an emotional pain meter somewhere that <laughs> I, I didn't, you know, I didn't discover, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And, uh, and then the brain doesn't decipher between physical and emotional pain. It doesn't decipher between the two. Right. So, you know, and for me, you know, the my physical pain, which I have a lot of because of my sport I played, triggers all the emotional stuff, and so I get you know double whammied all the all the time. But you know, we obviously have enough tools in my toolbox and enough phone numbers in my phone, you know, to pick up the phone and say, "Holy fuck!" Like today is shit,
1: you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I will I will say that the one of the big. Speaking about the physical and emotional and how it's all tied together, one of the big kind of epiphanies that I had as a player, I had just had my first baby, uh, my first daughter in 2007, March, excuse me, April 2007, and three weeks prior to before she was born, you know, before your first kid, everything's great. Free time is, um, you don't even realize what free time is because you don't, you just don't appreciate it. Until once the baby's here then you're like I don't have any free what is free time and then you start suffering because you don't have that but but prior to her being born I talked to the U.S. men's national team coach Bob Bradley he's like hey listen we got two big tournaments this summer we got the gold cup in the U.S. we're going to go down to Venezuela and play in the Copa America I was like you like I want you to be a part of both of them I was like that's amazing and the national team coach believes in me he's got my back and then I went and the baby was born and all of a sudden shit changes and My wife's like, this is going to be a lot of work. You're going to be gone for how long? Eight weeks, you know? And, and then I started to internalize what my role is and what what kind of dad I wanted to be. And now that you guys have a little bit of an insight on my background, I, 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 not that my dad wasn't around, it just, he didn't live with me. So, so you already kind of approaching that, that dad role and how you envision what you would do different. And I didn't want to not be there for the first eight weeks of my daughter's life but I didn't also want to miss out on this unbelievable career opportunity and you're torn. And guess what happened? I pulled my hamstring. I've never pulled a hamstring in my whole entire life, but what did it do? It solved my problem. So I pulled a hamstring. The coach is like, well, it is what it is. I missed the first tournament. I play the second one. I don't even play well in the second one. Cause I'm just all over the place emotionally, mentally, physically. And, and wanting to be great at everything when I just didn't have the time or, or the wherewithal or the coping skills to know how to do that. I was too tough, quote unquote, tough to go find help and, and, and didn't wanna to talk to a therapist or any of that stuff, which would have been obviously incredibly important on so many different levels. But that was my first aha moment of this physical component stuff is actually tied into more of my emotional stress and what I'm going through. And then it, it manifests itself into the pain I'm suffering physically. It's, it's a, it was unbelievable. And I try to reference that a lot. So if anybody's dealing with some pain physically, you might want to look at what's happening behind the scenes emotionally, which could help solve
0: some of <laughs> the, the 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 book that gets the most praise in this space is Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps Score, right? Like what we see out there, we internalize and whether it's through a pulled hamstring, whether it's through, how many people do we see? I mean, I'm in New York City, people walking around like this, holding their back, you know, GI problems. And you, and and when you're younger, you don't know anybody, you think, oh, did they get into an accident? They might have, I'm not saying that that's not, you know, sometimes the case, but a lot of times it's what we hold in from what happened to us and then how it manifests. And it's interesting to talk about injuries, because, so Jimmy, you played 13 years professionally, you, you you were top 11 in MLS a number of times, you, you played in 2006 for the World Cup for the US team, I mean, you got an awesome career, and now you're doing a lot on the, let's call it broadcast side of things and 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 commentating side of things and personality side of things with soccer. So we just had this situation where Christian Erickson, an international player, I'm going to allow you to fill in the gaps more with teams that he played for and, and um, you know, what – tournament he was in because the average person listening to this who's an American sports fan might not know all the details and how big of a stage this game was on but he collapses in front of his teammates so if you don't mind let's first set the stage of who is he playing for what tournament was this in why was this a big deal
1: Okay, so Christian Eriksson, 29-year-old, Danish international, so grew up in Denmark, came through, well, definitely a younger uh, youth academy in Denmark, but then got picked up by Ajax in Amsterdam. So Ajax is considered one of the best youth academies and and clubs that produces young players in the world. Uh, If you get a player that comes out of Ajax and can play, they're probably going to end up at a Barcelona, Real Madrid, one of the top clubs in the world. So Christian Eriksen goes through there. He ends up at Spurs, Tottenham, uh, in in North London, in the Premier League. He he does well there, but th- these are the jokes here for Tottenham. They never win any trophies, so so he didn't win any trophies at Tottenham. Got a little frustrated, not having the success that he wanted. Really talented playmaker. So he's a he's a guy's a string puller. Like if you're gonna have an attack on goal, he's the one's probably gonna set it he's up or at least be the delivery man. He is. He is the the yeah. I, I love his game a lot and. He kind of forced to move just because he needed something different. I think that that club needed something different. And he went to Italy this season for Inter Milan. Inter Milan ended up winning Serie A in Italy for the first time in 11 years. So very big deal wow. for Inter Milan to do it. He actually wasn't playing to start. He had a really tough manager that was hard on him, Antonio Conte. And only he hit us. He, he he dealt with some adversity. They were looking to move him again. Like, this guy's just not working out. Wow. He doesn't fit our system. He ends up scoring an unbelievable free kick. Messi-esque Ronaldinho-esque for all you fans out there and it was against their biggest rival AC Milan and it helped Inter Milan win the Milan Derby and from that point on Antonio Conte he had that moment where he got the trust of the coach and he started to play and they ended up winning the league so it's a great story so now you fast forward into the international tournament this summer it's called the Euros it was it was canceled over the summer due to the pandemic before and this, this is a big is deal. once so, It's played once a year, every year? No, once every once every four years.
0: So similar to the
1: World it's Cup. Like, it's like the Olympics. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it's yeah. once every four years. And it's like the World Cup for Europe only, right? We have our own version of it here in North America called the Gold Cup. I've won that. I'm having a little flex moment here, patting myself <laughs> on the back. Nice. The South America tournament's called Copa America. So that's their kind of Euros, right? So every four years, these tournaments happen, even though we're trying to do them a a little bit more so we can probably cash in on on uh, all that money that's out there for that but but yes for the euros it's every four years and then you have the world cup so every two years you got like you have euros world cup euros world cup every two years and denmark were one of the favorites to potentially do some damage in this one and in the first game against finland and finland had never qualified for the euros before so this was a big deal for them they're just happy to be there about the 43rd minute right before halftime there's a throw-in ball gets thrown into him and he collapses and if you watch the video, and I, at this point, I, there's no reason to. You don't need to watch it because it's, it's, it's scary. What was the he, score of the game at this time? Do you remember? Uh, I was zero
0: zero. So a team that's not supposed to be there is, yes, is, is zero zero tie with the team. He's the favorite team. Uh, I, yes. There was a, if I remember correctly, there was a play where he had a run towards the end line. So there was one you know it, it, he, he he did go all out a little bit then when the throw-in happens he's kind of coming back in the other direction am i having that right the, or no, no no
1: that's correct but i mean ultimately we're trained and and having been through the world cup process before as a player you're tested to the nth degree i mean you're wearing every single thing possible so for them not to detect some maybe some slight heart issue is is pretty remarkable that they wouldn't catch something, especially with how sophisticated everything's gotten with, and with the pandemic too, right? I mean, they're testing in every single possible way. So yeah, he came back and maybe there was some rush there, but he collapsed. And when you see him before anybody really gets over there, he looks dead. I mean, I'm just gonna say it. He looks, he's out. Like his eyes are wide open and he looks dead. And they have since said that he probably did die, but they resuscitated him within the next, you know, three to five minutes. And he came back and, and he was back uh before they carted him off the field but really scary moment all the danish players because you know tv was tv i don't think handled that right uh there was a there was a there was a universal feed that was coming from uefa the governing body of that so everybody kind of takes that one feed and then they have their own announcers based on where it's going out now every one of those including the 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 over here on stateside espn was the one covering the game they could have cut back to the studio they tried to blame it on uefa but they could cut back to the studio at all times. But the cameraman is going to Christian Ericsson Cameraman then finds Christian Ericsson's significant other in the stands. She's crying. I'm like, what the hell are we even doing? You know, just this is not this is not your normal stuff. You know, you got to cut out of there. So there were fans in the stands. It was in Copenhagen, so it was in Denmark. And the, the players are now surrounding him, locking their arms. And back to him, right? Circle? Back, back to him. Well, there's one, the captain, uh, okay. Simone Kier, who ended up actually taking his thumb, or excuse me, getting his tongue so he wouldn't swallow his tongue out of the way. So there's all these little moments that ultimately saved his life. And they, they did wrap them around him. But, but you can see these guys are crying. I mean, this is like the, not only a teammate, but a friend, you know? And they're crying, and they don't know what's going to happen, and nobody knows what's going to happen. So ultimately, thankfully, he survives. But nobody knows yet. He's going to the hospital. He's awake, but they're going back. He doesn't know what happened, obviously. And after that, there's about an hour there. Game gets delayed, right? They haven't made any decisions yet. UEFA comes in and says, listen, we're going to give you three options. You can play tomorrow at noon. You can take a forfeit and lose 3-0. Or you can just, we can, we can play the game in like another 30 minutes. Who, who can take a forfeit? The his team Denmark, that Denmark. Denmark can take the forfeit.
0: So, so they're giving the choice to one team to forfeit versus the, like, yes. In other words, I understand that a player collapsed, but both, play, both teams have enough players it, to continue But you got to gotta understand,
2: Eric, this is, this is uh like, I don't know
1: you how how to, how to say it. <laughs> there's but, a lot of TV money at stake. <laughs> yeah, like there's so much,
0: poli- there's so much politics involved. Go, go, go with what I'm saying on this, go with what, go with what I'm saying on this observation because both teams had enough players to continue to play, the assumption in making that offer is that, hey, the other team wasn't tremendously affected as well, where they would be given the option to say you could forfeit. For the... I'm not saying that that would happen. I'm just saying th- there were enough players on Erickson's team to continue to play. It no, wasn't like he would forfeit yeah. because like when we were young kids, like, oh, you only have four to play in the five-on-five uh, uh, five basketball. You got to forfeit, right? No, like there were enough players to play and they're giving that option only to his team.
1: But Christian Erickson like- too, just to throw it out there, is probably Denmark's best player. So so not only are you losing this and you're dealing with this whole situation where you just saw your friend essentially die and now he's back. I mean, just coping with that whole process uh, live on a field, but you now just let's leave that emotional experience out and just talk about the fact that now you're also down your best player and not that he would have come back and played anyway, even if he was, you know, fine because of uh, the, the complication of, of his situation. But but still. So I just wish that. They had to make a decision without really knowing the fate of Christian Ericsson I mean, he could have gone to the hospital and had another cardiac arrest and and he could have died, but they didn't. They did. Yeah, they, they knew he was OK and everything seemed stabilized, but you still don't know. And I just wish somebody would have had the leadership ability or the vision to say hey listen let's just give this a day because i think the players with 12 more hours 24 more hours of understanding christian's situation will probably have a little bit more peace so ultimately what happens they're like well we don't want to wait a day you know they're under a ton of pressure to make this decision it wasn't like they had an hour to think about it they had like a 10 minute window to make this decision they didn't want to forfeit again they're in copenhagen they're in front of their home fans there's all this pressure. And and not that the fans were putting it on them, but you could feel it from UEFA and the TV. I'm sure Finland wasn't involved at all. I'm sure like whatever Denmark wants to do will be fine. And and they they just elected to play. So they go out there and play. And does it matter anymore? Like you're out there, you're like, who gives a shit about this game? Like, we just I just want to make sure my 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 brother, my my teammate, my friend is okay. And like the the goalkeeper Schmeichel who's one of the best in the world he made an uncharacteristic mistake and Denmark loses to Finland like Finland shouldn't even have no business beating Denmark in any other situation so Finland wins 1-0 now and then obviously Christian is doing better and and I think a day would have made a difference and I just wish they would have just made that decision for the players and not put it on the players who don't even haven't even really processed what just happened other than they're crying (laughs) because they thought their friend died on the field which is unreal so it just There's a lot to unpack here, and a lot of it is just a lack of leadership in my, in my way. But I will say there's a bit of a happy ending. Obviously, the best piece is that Christian Eriksen's okay. I don't know if he's ever going to play again. There's still a lot of tests to be determined there. But first time in European championship history, Denmark lost their first two games, won their last one at a big enough score that the first team to ever lose their first two games in the group stages and still qualify for the knockout rounds. What was the They're score
0: players. of the final game?
1: They won 4-1, and, and they needed another result to go their way, and it did. Belgium beat Finland, and so they're through. First time in history, which I mean, sets up nice. And now they play Wales in the round of 16. They're the favorites now, and they just have this like this belief in them and this emotional like we're going to do it for Christian vibe that you can't replicate. And Theo knows that you you can't you can't tap into that any other way than going through that type of experience.
2: When you when you get the mole, <laughs> that's, that, that's hard, it. It's hard to it's hard to give it up. You that's know, that's right. That's right. Because so actually, there's so much. There's ultimately, so much. that's what sports is all about. Is if you grab the momentum and keep the momentum for long enough, it's really hard for the team that you're playing against to get it back. That's right. Right. And that's you know, especially in soccer, you know, uh, it's huge. So so but there's there's so they're, much, they're there's so much damage. Much.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's so much to unpack because you know, Jimmy, you you before we even got into the Christian Erickson thing, you're talking about how everyone has mental health everyone faces mental health my mind was going to 911 as you were describing this I always thinking pictures right because people were at 911 at, at at ground zero people watched 911 at their window this guy um, people watched it on tv from stateside in either whether they were in new york or in another state or their people watched it overseas that was traumatic on everyone <laughs> and 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 that understanding that it was traumatic on everyone so so, why do I bring that up? Because here is this huge soccer match, right? Where where you're describing it's every two years. It's the World Cup of Europe. How many millions of people are watching this? T- tell me if I'm getting this wrong. With with the feed coming in and then the individual outlets being able to make the decision, is there a single outlet? And obviously, this is a difficult thing to fully know. Is there an outlet that did pull away, or or from what you know, every one of them continued to show?
1: I, from what I understand almost all of them stayed and okay. and the producers made those those calls you know they okay. could have come back to the studio they could have done a whole bunch of different things and they had the fallback and i'm sure the producers like well it's the uefa feed you know we want, we can we can shirk the responsibility here yeah but but um i think ultimately everybody's kind of moved past it because christian's okay and you know he's still working through his stuff but it looks like he's going to be fine and there is a player actually on the dutch daily blint who had a similar heart issue. Uh, many, many years ago, and he's he has like a, a stint inside and he plays with it and he plays on Netherlands now. So it's possible that Christian Eriksen could play moving forward. But I'm like, what are you even doing? Why even risk it, buddy? Just just you had your career, it was tremendous. Uh just go spend time with your family and relax, man. But we'll see what he ends up deciding well, to do. That, and we'll talk about
0: the aftermath of what do you do from here, right? But but in the moment, I think which is interesting to discuss is you talk you you brought up the camera shows his wife hysterically crying. The camera focuses on the players hysterically crying. How many people who are in the crowd, probably that they're not showing as much, are freaked out by this?
1: Oh, I, I, I think there was a lot of unknown as to what was happening, right. which is probably why her, his significant other was, was uh, I don't know if it's a girlfriend or wife, but uh, somebody he's been with for a long time. And she's upset. She ends up coming out on the field and you you have the other... the the two most senior leaders on the team you know, comforting her and, and trying to give her as much information as possible but nobody knows what the hell's going on and you know the doctors have to run out there and and try to figure it out as well and you know fair play to the captain uh, simon kier for for moving his tongue and and having some cpr experience i mean when i watch that it just makes me like i should probably go learn cpr i bet you it's not what 10 15 minutes of my life to go learn something that could save somebody's life and yeah so so it, yeah, There's a lot, and and I think we've kind of moved past it in some capacity because he's okay, and, and Denmark's playing well, you know, so there's like a nice cherry on top and a silver lining happy ending to this. But when we look at stuff that happened in the moment, there were a lot of unnecessary decisions, I think, by by TV. Well, and that's
0: what, I, that's what I want to dive into, because and, – and Theo well, talks to people I'm, all the time. I'm thinking, you know, PTSD
2: is, is, is going to happen to – somebody who is either in the stands watching it on TV, these guys that are his teammates, you know, because, uh, you know, I work with a lot of first responders and, you know, they see, they see that all day, every day, all day long, and they never process what happens. Okay. And when you don't process that type of incident, and obviously, you know, uh, the media did a horrible job of, of the aftermath of the incident or during the incident. And what I, what I understand about these type of situations, these very traumatic situations that we witness, if you have an external brain that can come in and calm everything down, answer questions, allow the people who are traumatized to talk, you're not necessarily going to develop post-traumatic stress disorder, right? And so you know you by you saying that you know the media did a bad job, you know, uh, we show the traumatized girlfriend wife, we show the traumatized players, we show the traumatized people in the stands. you know, where's the ex- wheres the external brain to come in and say, you know what
0: we we don't really need to see this there's th- so interestingly enough we, we I did an event yesterday with a FEMA certified instructor right who's dealt with crisis situations all the way going back to the 80s and you know there's there's changes of opinion in terms of after a traumatic event you know what with, with the latest is debriefing and having someone directly actually this it goes against what we would think Talking about the incident, having that person relive it over and over again actually makes it you know ingrain it more. But what Theo's sharing, I just wanted to be clear here, is having a professional there to shed light, create perspective, give a bigger picture, allow people to understand. Because here's where my mind's going for for anyone who's listening to understand how because Jimmy, when you say we're moving past it, right? Situationally we are cognitively and emotionally what has happened. So let's use the pandemic as an example. You've got a bunch of 15-year-old kids who are super resilient. They're, They're athletes at school, right? Parents are really proud of them that they've been able to stay in touch with friends. They're eating healthy. They're going to the gym even. They're staying in good shape. And now the pandemic ends. Wow, they were really resilient. Guess what? The shit that they just lived through for a year and a half was traumatic on them. And it's this cumulative build. And while they got past that, and now the pandemic is, quote, over or subsiding, the question is what stayed in them that was part of that resiliency? And because of, I should say, because of their resiliency, didn't topple them over yet, but it it built the level of of the water in the bowl to a higher place, right? So what scares me is all these people who watched on TV, all these people who watched in the stadium, all the teammates who are there, the wife or the girlfriend that you're talking about, we're not having conversations to help us understand what we just lived through, right? And it is a great feel good moment. Don't get me wrong that Christian Erickson, hopefully will go on to live a long life, whether he's playing or not. We want Denmark, probably. <laughs> we we sure. want to root for the other, you know, we, want, we all want them to win. That story that you just gave is amazing, but they're like. What our society is not doing is because the train wreck didn't happen anymore or isn't in front of us anymore, and it's not ratings anymore, it's like sweep it under, we're not going to deal with it anymore.
1: Does that make sense? Makes complete sense. and actually reminds me, I had a friend when I was playing in Kansas City that I speak to, I feel like I should be speaking to him more, but he was a nurse during the Oklahoma City bombing. And he went in and had to... He he. It took it took many many months of becoming his and being his friend for him to actually reveal what he was going through, but uh, he did end up sharing that he had to make a decision about which kid to save, which life to save for a kid. He'd look in the room and like, well, which one is worse off? Because I don't have. I mean, I don't even know how you survive. I don't like. How do you even process what life really is if you're in the, in a room and you have to make a quick decision on that kid's life is more important than that kid's life. And, and now that I understand that part of him, it makes complete sense as to why he just, he just is distant. He doesn't want to get close to, I mean, I, I almost get emotional, like thinking about him and what he had to go through. He ended up getting addicted to painkillers. He got divorced. And, and because he, there's, where do you go with that? Where do you go with that type of emotional weight? And I know I've maybe kind of taken it three steps more, but maybe I haven't. It's all kind of in the same waters, I think. Yeah. It, but, it's but, important. It, it, i i don't know where, where do you unload where do you i mean, that the, the the amount of rage you must have to be put in such an unfair situation That's as the nurse obviously the kids are an even more immense unfair situation and trying to do that and, you know he would wake up screaming at night because he couldn't save i mean it's un, it's unbelievable and and i don't even know how he processes just a normal day and and once i understood that about him Man, I just like I want to give him a big hug every time I see him because he needs about 5,000 big hugs every single day to just just feel like, hey, man, it's not your fault, you know? So well, anyway. I,
0: you know, I, I no, I, Jimmy, I'm so
1: glad that you shared that
0: because the question then becomes, think about like the X, I always think to the ex and O's of the people who were involved in the incident. So let's take the players um, on the field. Let's start with that. Every time now, someone makes a move, even an opponent, not someone on their team, and goes like this, because yeah, they're right, out of right, breath, right? Yeah, yeah. It's gonna scare the shit, and then yeah, and it reminds you of it. Every time a fan is at a game and is watching a player run, and you know, for those who didn't see the video, again, we're recommending not seeing it. But you watch a player run, and their head is down, and they take kind of stutter steps the way that Christian did. You're gonna think, is that person right? It's the same way when I hear about a celebrity going up in a helicopter, I think, are we going to lose that person the way that we did Kobe Bryant? Like, how surreal is that? Someone in a private plane, we're going to lose that person like we did uh, JFK Jr. Why do I bring these things up? Because we're not addressing them as a society. These are big Look, we can't, I get that we can't address every car accident that happens out on the street right but when something happens on a big stage like this and i maybe set you up a little bit because you have greater knowledge in the world stage that what this tournament is of how many freaking people are actually watching this in europe everywhere okay because the feed's coming here in the in the u.s and it's like here's the media feel good story he's good now he was dead we brought him back <laughs> yeah, to life right. The captain saved him with the tongue, all good things. But it's like there is no learning that takes us to the next level. And there, there's no, I don't, I don't know what the answer is, whether there is a czar of mental health that we've we've heard about this before. Uh, here in the US, obviously, you'd hope different countries would come together around it, right? But a systematic way to address these traumatic events that happen so that we can process as a society and understand how to move past these things and not allow them to eat away at us. And and, and you know, I brought up 9-11 before. I'll give one other example because I've given a bunch of them. Like, who who to this day that lived through 9-11 doesn't in the back of their mind sometimes think, is someone going to take over my plane? Am I going to have to fight that person? 100%. Put this plane go into a... bit Like, it's in I there. I right? do that all the time when I'm on a plane. Right. I do. And so, so, you know, I, I, have you, Jimmy, had any conversations or either seen interviews with any of the players who were at uh, that game and playing in that game.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because we don't talk about the Finnish players that were also the opponents. And, and I assume they didn't feel great about beating Denmark, you know, like this game again, it just feels so, uh, inconsequential. Like it just doesn't matter. And, and, so yeah I think everybody I think you you're spot on that everybody touched by this that we're, was there it's going to impact you whether you want to process it or, or deal with it or not and and I'm hopeful that the players on both sides got to see therapists right away and that there was a real strong urgency from both federations for for the Finns and the Danes to continue to to make sure check in right get a temperature check on everybody and allow them that the space to talk and and get it out you know
2: would, 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 these, would these teams have a full-time psych- psychologist on payroll
1: potentially so the one when yeah. i when we, we went to the world cup in 06, we had somebody but we all had to check in with him once and then it was kind of like well you can check in with them later or at your own leisure you know but it's still there's still a lot of toughness around it like nah i don't need a therapist i got this i know i didn't get to this point by not you know talking to somebody through my feelings you know this isn't the time or place but what's the stigma right? it, right? Is, it oh. is it is so- but it is but it's it's it,
0: so there was that event that ha- I, somewhere in Nashville, I forget where it was, where a, a child brought a gun into the school. There wasn't a shooting. Happened like last month, and I'm, it, the 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 wording that the superintendent used struck me so much, and you'll see why I'm bringing this up in the context of a of a soccer uh, conversation. Is he said, "We're shutting down the school tomorrow, but we will have more counselors on staff if you need it." <laughs> what does that say to people like? Well, the, yeah. the weak people they need it, but everyone else, you know, right? Right, European, exactly. I mean, I, I, like, I think of Parkland, right? And and, and again, yeah. we're hiring more counselors or we're bringing in more counselors. Well, if you're the resilient kid who's the captain of the football team or the head of the choir or whatever it is, first chair in band, you don't think you need that, right? The term need. What's crazy and-
1: is that you need those ones to actually be the ones that go in and yes. make it cool to go talk, you know? And that's why it's important to.
2: You, you use two key words, Eric, processing and debriefing. We don't do near enough of that, you know? And and that, you know, that's important uh, moving forward that we, we start to use that kind of language, processing and re- Re, or rebooting, rebriefing or whatever the hell it is, you know, because we don't do it enough. We just, we just, it happens. And, you know, because we're in that age category, we grew up in the suck it up era. Right. And the suck it up era, what we're living today is a direct result of us living in the suck it up era that all of us, 35, 40, 50, 60 are now dealing with all of the trauma that we've experienced in our life, whether we have seen it, been a part of it, heard about it, read about it. Here we are because it's layered. It has layered in our nervous system because we didn't debrief and reprocess.
0: Well, it, it makes me wanna ask both of you, cause I'll give my own personal situation is, you know, it, I didn't see a bad injury happen on the court field or the ice to the point where, let's say a bone came through uh, someone's skin or something like that. But but one, you know, you think to like, like, you think about this and okay, where where is there a pit in your stomach? Remember we were, we, we were going for the uh, county championship in basketball my junior year of high school. Okay, so it goes all the way back to then. I'm not gonna bring up a college experience. And uh, one of our teammates' father died from ALS, which at the time, you know, ALS was so off the radar screen. And what coaches did, back to your point of suck it up. And by the way, my coach is phenomenal and someone that I'm still friends with to this day. But it was like the rallying cry around: let's get behind JJ, like we let's do it for him, let's do it for dad. And we never did like the in my mind, which was circling around, is like. How awful must it feel to be JJ? like he probably feels, even though we're supporting him, he's the only one who lost his dad and no one else did. like that's awful, right? So can you guys remember a time in your career where you either saw an injury or something bad happened to a player's family where it shook you at your core And maybe you guys used it for motivation, but you know it 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 you looking back on it, you're like, that could have been handled a little bit differently.
2: I played the game where uh uh kid broke his neck. He got cross checked from behind, went into the boards and broke his neck and and uh we went back in the dressing room and we we went back out and played but you know the rest of the game was a no-hit game and you know the the other team was, you know, vis- visibly upset. Um you know, he was a very popular player. He would have been a first-round draft pick in the NHL and the juniors you were playing. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, over the years, you know, I got to attend some of his charity events, uh, because he needed uh, financial support because he needed a wheelchair, a special van and all this stuff. But, but he, you know what, to his credit, man, like one of the greatest guys you'll, you'll ever meet. And I played minor hockey against them too. when we were little guys, we played against each other too. And so, um, but it was it was it was devastating, and you know the guy that actually cross-checked our guy, like he quit. He was our captain, and he quit for for a short period of time because he couldn't deal with it. You know, uh, but he did come back and uh, he did play play out the rest of the year. But it, it just wasn't the same. You know, it just wasn't the same to, um, and and you know, similar to. Yeah, you know, this experience that we're talking about on the soccer field, we were all the same. Like, we're we're sitting there watching EMS come out on the ice and, you know, they're doing all these procedures and all this stuff, and it was just like, holy cow. It was, you know, and it and still affects me today, you know, because that could have been me. Mm-hmm. You know, could have been me. And, yeah. and the way that yeah. I played, it probably should have been
1: me. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There's some guilt that comes into it as well. I, I had, I had, uh, my second year in Kansas city, my first year we, we did okay, but we had the, we had the league MVP on our team named Precky guy just dice people up for fun. I mean, he just laugh at you when he dribbled past. He's so talented preseason of the next season. We're in Florida and we're playing another one of the MLS teams and, uh, he steps over the ball player comes through and he breaks his leg. So I'm, I'm right behind him and his legs should be up, right? His toes should be pointed up and his toes all the way down facing the other way. It was disgusting. And, and you could see the other bench of the team that was right in front of them on the sideline. And they're all just like, they wouldn't, nobody wanted to see it or look at it. You know, you got this guy's 37, 38, the MVP Precky and he's, you know, crying and screaming. And it's just, and, and you know, they took him off, you know, bring the ambulance, get all that sorted out. And we kept playing, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And, and he never recovered. He tried to come back and he just had a little hitch in his giddy up and didn't have the same burst anymore. So his career was done. So now, and, and Theo knows this quite well. And, and I know you do too, Eric, when somebody's injured, even when you're injured, the coaches, the players, they don't look at you the same way because you're not in the process of helping them currently. When you come back in, everything's great. But when you're on the outside, you feel like you're on the outside and it, it sucks So imagine this guy, all of a sudden we changed our whole formation. We went on to have an amazing season. We got to the final and unfortunately lost. We won the, the open cup, the cup competition. We could have won the double. We were like two points away from being one of the greatest teams in MLS history. It was pretty, pretty intense, but it was without him and nobody really checked in with him to see, not only did he was like watching us like have tremendous success without him, which is its own pain that comes with that, but, but his career was over and, and and I, I was a little bit younger there, so I wasn't maybe as aware. I was a little bit more, you know, being a little selfish, I'd say, and always worrying about my performance and not really thinking bigger. I ended up becoming a captain when I started to embrace that role a little bit more. But, but that was traumatic. Uh, not as traumatic as, as a player breaking his neck and his career being over immediately when he had so much future. But, you know, at least this guy had his career. But still, it just... There's so much to, and we didn't have, we had no time to process it. It was just like, well, he's not part of it. We're going to switch our formation and hopefully everything works out. And then you just move on. You just move on.
2: Well, and and you ask any athlete what he hates the most is watching his team go out on the playing field or the ice rink and you're sitting up, the, up in the stands and there's fuck all you can do, like nothing, you know? And then, you know the team wins you go down to the dress room you don't really feel part of it because we didn't contribute anything you know what I mean and so and uh, um, you know thinking, thinking about that now it's kind of triggered some some memories of you know times when physically there was there, there's no I had no business putting my equipment on and going out on the ice and then thinking now how I feel every single morning getting out of bed. I'm like, you know what? I should have just not played that. <laughs> yeah, you know? I get you. I get you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, but the simple fact that, you know, uh, what we do is it's, 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 you know, it, why was the Coliseum in Rome invented? Spectacle.
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: Gladiators. To the death. I mean? And that's what I'm saying. Us yeah. gladiators are going out on the field because they've instilled in us that this is war right this is about winning and losing right and you do whatever it takes to get yourself ready to go out on the battlefield with your fellow warriors to get two points or three
0: points in your case you know what i mean and it's like yeah i don't know well i you know what it's making me think of is memories right and what memories do we hold on to and as sports fans Sadly, I can remember more traumatic injuries of on plays than I can great play moments. So right off the top of my head, Sean Livingston's knee literally when he oh. just, just turning to the side. Do you remember the guy on Joel Louisville? Heisman?
2: His story reminded me of Joel Theismann. When- Lawrence Taylor, absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
0: The dude that played for um, Louisville, I'm forgetting his name. And and was running for the ball in the NCAA tournament, and his leg literally snapped in half in front of his teammates. Right, um, the John Tavares play in in, in this playoffs, where his oh, head yeah. literally—it's like a crash test dummy, right? Or yeah. or um, what was his name, the defenseman on the Florida Panthers uh, had to be carted off the Aaron ice. Blair. Also, yeah, yeah Aaron Ekblad. Yeah. And, and it's like if you gave me and you'd said fill in twenty different places of awful injuries. My mind can remember them right away. You say to me, Give me 20 amazing sports memories and specific plays in sports memories. It's a little harder. Like, there are definitely some in there, but like our brains, uh, this is what I want to leave everyone with. Like, our brains latch onto it, what Jimmy, what you guys just said about the Coliseum and why the Coliseum was invented. Like, our brains latch onto the spectacular, the spectacular, right? And the spectacular doesn't mean, necessarily in a good way it means that and 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 my hope is you know I don't think we're gonna solve the world on this call right but like as we're people are hearing us is how do we help people who are watching these events have better understanding of how to process these events so they don't live with us in such a negative way for such a long period of time because here we are three guys willing to be vulnerable willing to be emotional willing to open up and we're flat out saying, those things live in us and, and we're carrying them with us and that's not healthy. And And there are exercises, there are EMDR out there, there's havening, there's all these different exercises that if people understood how to do these things, what it does is it doesn't make you forget the event. It starts to take away the emotional strain of what that event feels like every time you go back to it so that water line doesn't feel as high.
1: So you gotta find, you gotta find peace.
0: That's yes. like when, when
1: I can see people that are struggling it's um, or my wife is going through a tough day. I'm like, you just, you haven't found your peace either for today or for the bigger picture or whatever. And then when I know that I'm like overwhelmed. I, it's balanced, but it's just like, it, even in the stress, I can find peace in the stress if I know what I'm looking for. And, and sometimes I don't know what I'm looking for. And I think that's part of the challenge as well.
2: Well, anybody that, you know, lives in this space, which is like you said, the majority of us. You know, what's the ultimate goal? Peace, joy, happiness, and serenity. That's the goal. But how do I get there? Right. There's so many different ways to get there. Yeah. But I think on a, it's a positive thing that there are so many different modalities
0: that we can use to get to that place, you know? We just need, Theo, we just need people to understand that the events that they witness, even if they're not there in person, are things they should address yeah. and not just sweep under the rug and then you know to both of your points yes the tools are there but educating people on the tools both those things when
2: yeah. i look at it with a compassionate and empathetic lens instead of you yes. know you know what i mean like you can get so much peace and and joy just out of looking at it from that perspective, like I have a heart, you know, I have a heart and, you know, every time I witness something horrific, you know, that, that leaves an imprint on that piece of me. Right. And how do I repair that piece? So that every time I see another event that reminds me of that doesn't continually trigger that old stuff that that's left behind from all these experiences. Right. And so, you know, you talked about it, Eric, you know, the EMDR, which helps you reprocess and reprogram, you know, these horrific events that, you know, that we go through life, uh, witnessing, you know, because, you know, unfortunately they're, they're not going to stop happening, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, to have both you on, to have guys, to have athletes, to have people who are vulnerable, to talk about a current event item. I mean, this This is where these conversations need to start, need to move towards, and need to find some resolution. So I thank both of you. Um, I, I think there's a lot that will come from this type of conversation, but it's just the beginning. So so Jimmy, that's my way of saying we're definitely having you back. Because oh, I
1: appreciate that. That means a lot. I well, did it, everybody. I, I already got the, the, the re-invite. Well, uh, and on a, on, a,
2: on a lighter note, Jimmy, my son was an amazing soccer player he was not a hockey player he, he played hockey when he was eight and then the summer he turned eight he uh played soccer and he played soccer till he was 18 years old played in three national championships nice That's and amazing. uh so you know and i actually my last professional season of hockey i played in belfast in ireland Oh, wow, I didn't know that. And I knew nothing about the game. Right. And, and so I became an Arsenal fan and a Tier tear or Rihon Rihon Rihon. Fan Yeah. yeah. He was playing for Arsenal because all of my teammates were man. You fans. Mm, yeah. You can't have that. And so yeah. I was like, you know what, I'm a shit disturber. I don't fucking care about soccer. I'm going to cheer for, you know, their most hated rival. And so it was, a, it was a lot of fun, but, uh. Uh, And my kid was, my kid was so incredibly fit. I couldn't, like, I couldn't believe it. You know, what's he he doing now? Is he still playing? Still loving the game or what? No, he, uh, he shot a 68, uh, on the golf course three days ago. Well, well then. So so he's, he's a really incredible athlete. Clearly. And, uh, you know, uh, I'll blow some smoke up my own ass, chip off the old block. (laughs) As you
1: should, Uh, as you should.
2: But, uh, but yeah, you know, uh, people who play soccer are like, I want to be that fit because I I know in my whole entire career of playing hockey, if I was that fit, I would have been unstoppable.
1: Well, you were pretty unstoppable anyway. So I know, but I, I, I you know, I could even, there was another level. There was another level.
2: Exactly. And I never, you know, I played a little soccer as a kid, but you know, not to, not to that level. You know, and you know what pissed me off was a lot of times was when they kicked the ball backwards.
1: Mm. Yeah, and, yeah, And
2: I didn't realize that they were resetting their formation. Yeah, right. To suck everybody over to spring that one guy to make his run down right, the field. Right, 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 right. You know?
0: So yeah. Well, since we're sharing, I'll I'll end on my my soccer story was playing travel soccer from the time I was what six years old until until senior high school. But, you know, being 6'5, you, you start off being on the field and then all of a sudden you start growing. You're like, these little guys are kind of dribbling circles around me. So <laughs> ended up moving to, to goalie, and that's where I spent the rest of my career. So I love the sport. It's, uh, it's amazing. I, I hope the the growth continues because I, I think, um, you know, the, it, there's so yeah, much- It is I
2: mean- truly an amazing game. Like when you fully understand, what the hell's going on you're like wow these guys are you know yeah the hand-eye coordination hockey, like, yeah. like for example in hockey when they feed you a one-timer it's pretty easy to get your your stick on the puck yeah it
0: says you, if if you do it go ahead in, yeah
2: but do it in soccer forget about it like <laughs> you're gonna whiff half the time
0: i'm yeah. laughing because every athlete would point to another sport like when we would have basketball and then we would do like a pep rally and the and the wrestlers would come out and try and make a layup it was like watching people like who had like tiny little arms like yeah meanwhile we try to pin someone and no shot
1: that's so, true the skill set everything's everything has its skill set yeah for yeah. sure yeah but, but i you know i
2: have a tremendous amount of respect for the uh, guy i appreciate that, that uh, hockey that as played, well they played at the highest level you know it's poetry emotion. We, what? I,
1: I when I was in San Jose, we really quick story. We, we had Mike Ricci come out. Oh yeah, uh, and and you know every time I saw these guys, they were in pads. So I was like, oh my god, Mike Ricci is going to come out and just tower over us. And he comes out without his pads. I was like, that's Mike Ricci, like that. Yeah. That guy, like a strong wind could knock that guy over. You know, he was a lot thinner than I and smaller than I thought. And then I broke my foot, unfortunately, and we had the same doctors as the Sharks. So I went into their facility to get an X-ray. And Timo Solani was there, and and it was just me and him. And I'm like, this guy's this guy is a golden god. Like, this guy is built. Like, I've never seen anybody oh, yeah. be built. So then I was like, okay, that's more the idea. I mean, if, and I didn't even see him in pads. If I had seen Timo Solani in pads, that must have been ridiculous. But uh yeah, Mike Ricci was super cool and he he loved the game, and it was cool to have him come out to practice. But that, that was like my my brushes of fame with the NHL.
2: No, that's awesome, you know. Yeah. I- It's, it's cool to be able to talk to people from different sports, you know, and get different perspectives. I don't think we do enough of that. You know, I don't think, you know, we sort of just stay in our own lane and just, you know,
1: so
0: what what a microcosm that is for mental health silos, right?
1: 100%. I mean, I, for yeah, sure I, it ends up being the backdrop right we're all kind of trying to accomplish and, and achieve similar goals but we just have a different backdrop to to get to get to those ends that's like that's the next time i come on that's uh that's the second yes, episode that of was a,
0: i set that up purposely
2: <laughs> timu solani is probably one of the nicest guys in the history of our sport like just down to earth coolest guy. Puts the pads on, and he's like a fucking goal-scoring machine. <laughs> yeah. You know?
1: I wish that was me, but uh, I played. I was a lowly defender, so. Okay. Pipe dreams. hype dreams, everybody.
0: Speaking of 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 family and people that we know, Darren couldn't be on this one because it's his daughter's birthday. Wow. How beautiful is that? that That's awesome. On the day we that were is. taping, he said he was going to dedicate his time to being with his daughter. and As uh, he should spending time with he her you should shoot so. him a
2: text and tell him to bet on uh the danes <laughs> I,
0: I, funny enough i promised him we weren't going to rip on him on this episode because he said we've done a three in a row and we haven't been on show up i
2: know
1: i know i know, I know
2: excuse I know. time for excuses is over uh,
1: i appreciate you guys thanks for having me on of course well on behalf of jimmy
0: theo our buddy darren eric hewson here until next time with we're all a little crazy brought to you by the hashtag same here global mental health movement and the hockey podcast network. We'll see you next. You just heard we're all a little crazy brought to you by the hashtag same here global mental health movement and the hockey podcast network.